Good morning. I ask you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 14 this morning. John's Gospel, chapter 14. What a great morning it's already been. So excited to see what God's doing in the life of our church. Really, two great weeks. Eight baptisms last week. We had a baptism in our earlier service this morning at 9 o'clock. Baptism this morning here in this service. And we're just so excited considering not only that, as we seeing, as we've heard Joseph say, people pass from death to life, but also excited about seeing us with opportunities to serve with Love Taylors yesterday. And it, it did this pastor's heart good to see so many come out and be able to shine the light of the gospel into our city here. And I thank Kathy for putting all that together and her team. Thankful for to be able to be in worship this morning. Uh, Kevin, Scott, Teresa, thank you all for the song. Thank you for the opportunity we have, uh, the blessing we have here as a church. And God is good to us. Today is Palm Sunday. This week we're preparing, really considering what this week means. This morning as we look toward next Sunday. We're building up this Friday. I want to invite you personally this Friday to our Good Friday service at noon. I kept saying 12, I think I said 12 a.m. in the first service. So our, uh, our traditional service crowd, they may show up at midnight. I probably won't be here. Um, but uh, it's at noon this coming Friday, and it's a service designed to fit in that hour, but also a great opportunity for us to consider what the Lord Jesus has done for us on the cross as we'll be partaking of the Lord's Supper together. So we would love for you to be here this Friday with us at noon. And then next Sunday, of course, we'll gather in this space again to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. Two identical services at 9 and 1030, hoping to create space for everyone that wants to be here and be involved. And as we have looked over these last few weeks, anticipating this season, anticipating Easter, anticipating even Good Friday, we've considered death and life from John's Gospel. How Jesus is our good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. How he is the resurrection and the life. He's the one who's conquered death by conquering our sin for us so that we can have life. And today, we're going to look at another of the great passages of Scripture in John's Gospel, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Now, I will let you know that John 14, verse 6 was the first text to my first sermon I ever preached in 1994. It's a whole different millennium for some of you. First text of the first sermon I ever preached, and it lasted seven minutes. So none of y'all are getting off lucky. My introductions don't, don't uh, last longer than that nowadays. But I am so thankful by God's grace that there's no recording or live broadcast that has been saved of that first sermon. So I'll just let y'all know it was great. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6 this morning, I'm going to be reading this passage as Jesus is talking to his disciples. We're going to read this together, we'll pray, and then I want to set the context for what's going on here in John 14. So let's read it together. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus' response to Thomas again, when he replied to Thomas' question, how do we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your kindness to us. We thank you for your goodness with giving us your word, but even even beyond that, Father, giving us your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that this morning, in the midst of a world that sometimes seems like chaos, we can read the words of our Savior that says, let not your heart be troubled. And so, God, I pray that that's the case this morning, that if anyone is here bringing troubling hearts, if anyone is here weary and tired, Father, from the the ways of this world and the life that is here, God, may we come in and receive that refreshing, that refreshing word from Christ. Let not your hearts be troubled. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for who he is and what he has done for us. And God, we ask now that he would be exalted and lifted high as he already has been, help him to continue to be. All for the name of our Savior, we pray. Amen. I remember uh, in a church service one time, in fact, we were on vacation and we had kind of wandered into this little service at the beach and the worship leader was singing and he began to sing and I came in and we're, we're doing it, you know, and everything's going well. We're singing and he begins to sing, I'll fly away. Some of y'all have never heard of that. Um, but he begins to sing, I'll fly away. And he begins that song and that song begins with the line, just a few more weary days and then. Now, as I tell this story, I've, I, I want you to know that in the lifetime of me being your pastor, there will probably be several times that I repeat stories for you, okay? I'll say it this time, and then I'll repeat it again later and repeat again later. Never bring that up to me. I don't want to hear about it. It's just kind of the <laughs> way it works. But I was sitting there, and I'm listening, and I'm singing, I'll fly away, and I'm actually thinking about that word, just a few more weary days and then. And the guy who was on stage, who wasn't even leading, kind of chimes in, whoa, 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 stop the music. Now, if anybody says, whoa, 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 stop the music in a Baptist church, then something bad's about to happen, I do believe. (laughs) And here he comes up, stop the music, stop the music. He says, we as Christians, we as Christians shouldn't be singing just a few more weary days and then. We should be singing just a few more happy days and then. Let's sing that. Just a few more happy days and then I'll fly away. Of course, me, my mind immediately goes to the Fonz and Opie Cunningham. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm sitting there thinking, my goodness, what is he talking about? Because that particular day, as I was considering it, I want you to know I was tired. In so many ways in this world, don't we get tired? We get weary. We fight our sin to the right. We fight our sin to the left. We're trying to live as we should. The world keeps feeling like it's closing in on us. We're seeking to honor Jesus with every step, and it gets harder and harder every single day, right? 
And sometimes we get weary. In that particular day, the words of that song meant something to me. Just a few more weary days. And then, then we'll be with Christ. This morning, as we think about this passage in John 14, Jesus is bringing this up, I believe. He's bringing up this idea of weariness or tiredness or trouble that we face. And it's important for us, I think, as we consider the words of Christ when he says, let not your hearts be troubled, it's important for us to put this passage in context. After Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, that's where we picked up really from last week when he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. After Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb and Lazarus comes forth out of the tomb, a plot immediately began to kill Jesus. It was that week here coming up to to leading to his crucifixion and there the leaders in Jerusalem had heard about this sign and they had had seen what Christ Jesus had done and they said we got to end him this one is becoming too popular he's got too much power even seeing Lazarus come back from the dead so immediately the plot began to bring him to trial to put him to death rather than running away from this plot the time had come for Jesus to run toward it And instead of of moving away and just seeking off into hiding again, Jesus tells his disciples, it's time for us to go to Jerusalem. Just one city over. In Jerusalem, it was the time. It was the, the feast of the Passover. So all of Israel was coming there. And so now Jesus is going to where everyone will be. And there he leaves Bethany. And the crowd that was with him at Bethany that saw the sign follows along with him. And they go into Jerusalem. And those in Jerusalem who had heard about what happened with Lazarus and heard he was coming, they come out to meet him. And there, that was what happened on Palm Sunday. They come out to see this one who had performed this incredible sign and they they wave the palm branches from whence we get the name and they shout out, Hosanna, glory, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this Sunday today, we're celebrating this event, Jesus coming into Jerusalem on the week that he would be betrayed, go to trial, be crucified and died. And this week, when we read about it in John's Gospel, the the Palm Sunday is there in chapter 12, and then everything following happens in that last week of Jesus' life. And we read about this, this in John's Gospel. We see how intense, how troubling this week was. In fact, you consider as Jesus is there and and they welcome him coming in and Jesus turns and, and some who were there wanted to see him and Jesus said, they'll see me soon enough, high and lifted up. And Jesus, you see the intensity of the hour because he says in verse 23 of chapter 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's time for me to die, in other words. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus says it's that time. In verse 27, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, now is my soul troubled. Jesus says, now is my soul troubled. And why is his soul troubled? Because the hour has come for the Father to glorify his name. And then after Jesus says, my soul is troubled, a voice comes from heaven there in verse 20, 28 of John chapter 12. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again, the Lord says from heaven. The crowd hearing this voice stood there. What's going on? Is this an angel? What is it? 
Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. John helps us by giving us a little narration, a little explanation that he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus, knowing that his death is coming, knowing that he's going to the cross, announces to his people, my soul is troubled. My soul is troubled from going to the cross. And Jesus listens and he does it. He says, anybody who believes this, I'm going to the cross, my name, I will be lifted up. If you will follow after me, whoever, whoever believes this will have life. And instead of believing, instead of believing, they would turn from him. They all turned there at the end of chapter 12 and no one was left except for his disciples. So Jesus, along with his disciples in chapter 13, the feast of the Passover, Jesus, along with his disciples, begins to wash their feet, teaches them what service is. The solemnity of the moment is palpable as Christ Jesus is there washing the, the feet of his disciples and Peter even saying, you, you, you shouldn't wash my feet. And Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you're not going to be clean. And Jesus says, what? I mean, Peter says, wash my whole body then. And you see the power of that moment as Jesus, along with his disciples, knowing his death is coming, demonstrating what he means, what it means to serve is there. John 13, 21. John helps us again after saying these things. Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And he announces that even though we're all together, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to turn from me. And that would be Judas. And he tells Judas, go and do what you're going to do. And then after he announces for Judas to go and do what he's going to do, that little verse there in John 13, verse 30, where it just simply says, and it was night. Just gives us that sense that night has come and darkness is there. And, and Jesus, with the, the intensity of the moment, knowing that this is the night before he would, the night he would be betrayed, the night before he'd be crucified, knowing that the intensity is here and it is coming and knowing what he's facing Peter says something and Jesus says, Peter, not only, not only has Judas betrayed me, but you're going to deny me three times. Here, the strongest of his disciples, Peter, the one who always spoke up and always said, I'll be with you. Jesus says, you're going to deny me too, Peter. Consider that. Jesus alone, the intensity of the moment. John, Jesus has says his heart is troubled. John has told us that Jesus' heart was troubled. He was troubled in his spirit. And Jesus says to his disciples, where I'm going, you cannot come. As Jesus was facing the next few days, if not the next few hours, he was troubled. The betrayal of Judas, the betrayal of Peter, facing the cross alone, even Jesus knew that the Father whom he had enjoyed communion with for all eternity would have to turn his back on, on, him, on him. Even he knew that he would going, be going to that cross by himself and all alone. Jesus' heart was troubled. I'm thankful that Jesus doesn't hide that, aren't you? I'm thankful that Jesus is what do we expect him to be? Not hypocritical, not putting on any, any airs, if you will. He just says, my heart is troubled. 
But in the midst of his heart being troubled, Jesus turns to his disciples because he is the good shepherd, because he loves them and cares for them. He turns to his disciples and he gives his attention to them. And seeing how the intensity of that moment, even in Christ's life, is now affecting his disciples, he says, my heart is troubled, but let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. In the midst of the trouble that, that, that Jesus is facing himself, in the midst of the trouble that he is looking toward, where, where he will be left alone, where he will have to face the cross, where he would have to take the sins of the world upon himself, in the midst of that trouble that he's looking toward, he looks to his disciples, and in the greatest of, of, of shepherding, in the greatest of care for them, he says, you don't need to be troubled. You don't need to be troubled. And why is that? Why is that? And Christ tells us immediately. First, he says, trusting in Jesus. I want us to see this. Trusting in Jesus is the remedy for all our trouble. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus Christ is God. John had said this from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The very foundation, the very start of John's gospel proclaims the deity of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. The very I am statements, this being the sixth one here in, our, in John's gospel, the very I am statements that we have seen testify to the deity of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that he is God and he has come for us. Sure, we have troubles. Sure, we get weary. Sure, we are tired. Sure, in our troubles, oftentimes we tend to mask them or to set them aside, but there's no need for that as believers. We must be realists. No lies, no hypocrites. We must understand that this life is difficult and troubles come our way. But while we are real about our troubles, we are also real about the power and goodness of God and Jesus Christ to deal with those troubles. Jesus is God the creator of the universe, the one who holds everything in his hands, holds it all together by the word of his power, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And what the scripture says is for those who believe in him, for those who trust him, he is with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And how about God who has given us Christ? And if he's given us his son, how will he not also give us all things, right? And if Jesus is enough for us and he never leaves us nor forsakes us, we need to understand the truth here that even in our troubled hearts, we don't have to be troubled because Christ is enough. We must believe. That's what he says. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This world tells us that Seeing is believing, and we tend to have that kind of that kind of attitude, right? It's a thing you've probably heard, but that's not the way it works in God's Word. It's not seeing is believing in God's Word. God's Word teaches us that if you believe, you will see. If you will believe, you will see. In fact, Jesus says, you believe this, you believe out, you will see even greater things than these. If you believe, then you will see. And Jesus is saying here, I know this is troubling. I know this is intense. But if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Isn't that true about the cross itself? Isn't it true about the cross itself? 
That for us who look upon the cross, we don't see it as just a moment in time or just something people like to talk about. We see it as life. We see it as our hope. We see it as our sins being dealt with and forgiven. We see it as everything to us. And Christ says, if you believe I am who I say I am, then you will see all of these great and glorious things. Let not your hearts be troubled. I'm not talking here about the power of positive thinking. I'm not talking here about pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. That's the world talking. What I'm talking about is the power of a Savior who came for us. What I'm talking about is the glorious belief that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, gave his life on your behalf. What I'm talking about is believing in the one, believing in the one who came for you, came after you to forgive you, to seek after you and find life for you. And if he is for you, what can be against you? If he is for you, who can be against you? You see, you understand that the troubles in our life can only be dealt with first when we believe. Jesus says it, believe. And I want to say this to you this morning, and I want to be as clear as I possibly can and as loving as I possibly can, because I believe the most loving thing for us to do is tell you the truth, right? If you don't believe in Jesus, then the promises that I'm about to lay out here that Christ gives to his disciples are not your promises. If you don't believe in Jesus, then the comfort Jesus gives is not your comfort. If you don't believe in Jesus, then the hope that we find through the cross and resurrection is not your hope. If you don't believe in Jesus, then you can't claim these promises. But here's what's true. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's what's true, is that belief is not some action that we must perform. It's something that we must do in our very heart and our soul and our life. And we put our faith and our trust and everything we have in him and on him. And you can do that even now where you are sitting. You can find out even now these promises are true. They're yes and amen for you if you believe. Even now. And let's see what those promises are that Jesus says. Why is it he says, don't let your heart be troubled? Because he's preparing a place for us. Jesus is preparing a place for us. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus is preparing a place for us. In fact, if I can, let me make that particular this morning. Jesus is preparing a place for you, believer. He's preparing a place for you. Just as Jesus is real and he came and died for us, just as Jesus came for us and pursued after us and went to the cross and rose again, so is the place he's preparing for us. And if you believe that, if you believe heaven is real, and you believe that Jesus is preparing this place for you, then you know, child of God, that that is home and this is not. You know that that's what you long for. And the scriptures say, for, for we are not of this world, but we are in it. And in this world, we are simply strangers and pilgrims. And as strangers and pilgrims, we are walking from one place to the next. And no wonder we get tired. And no wonder we face trouble. For this world came for trouble for Jesus himself. Why are we just strangers and pilgrims? Because this place is not our home. We're looking for a place better and greater 
and more glorious. And I could sing a thousand hymns now that testify to that longing. I can sing and, and, and quote a thousand sermons now that testify to that because saints and believers from the day Christ died and rose again and the church began in Acts, saints and believers from that day until now have been longing for that place that Christ Jesus is preparing for us. If you're a child of God, you know that the Lord has created nothing that will bring you more pleasure than himself. And if you're a child of God, you know that he will give you nothing that will bring you more pleasure than himself. And heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. And the place he's pre preparing for us is a place for us to dwell with him. He's getting the room ready. Some of y'all have already told me family are coming in for Easter. I'm excited to meet them. Y'all know how it is when family or guests are coming, especially to stay. Especially me, I know how that is. You got to clean up, don't you? You got to get things straight. Now, I want y'all to know that I'm a professional straightener. Cleaning's a different animal, but I can straighten up with the best of them. You know what it means, and you get the food that the family likes, and you never get, right? You get the stuff prepared. You have everything laid out. There is that welcome for them that are coming in. And if that's just the case because your family's staying with you for a weekend, think about what Christ is doing for you there in heaven as he's preparing that place. Think about those truths that Jesus has and he shares and how, how glorious heaven will be when our tears are wiped away our trouble has been dealt with finally and completely. Our weariness is over and life is ours forever with Christ. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe. For I'm going to prepare a place for you. But he also says something else. Not only am I going to prepare a place for you, I'm coming back for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. Jesus is not only preparing heaven for us. He tells us that he tells us there's coming a day when he'll come back for us. Not only is he preparing this place for you, friend, he's coming back for you. Just as he came the first time, he'll come again. As Christians... We tend to believe, according to the world, some weird stuff, right? If we hold true to God's word, we're only going to get more and more weird throughout this world. Because whatever it is you may say we believe, I always say, I got something better than that. Jesus Christ is going to split the sky wide open and come back on a horse, as the scripture says, for me. And he's going to call the dead up first, and they're going to come up out of the ground. And then I'm going to rise up to meet him in heaven. I believe that with every ounce of my body. Why is that? Because listen to what Paul says. You think Paul wants to lie about this truth? Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians. He says, for the Lord himself will descend. Do y'all hear what I'm saying there? Jesus Christ himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be called up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. That's the promise of God in his word. We will be with him. Jesus says, 
Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm coming back for you. Rest in that. Believe in that. Trust in that. Don't be troubled. In fact, Paul, when he writes those words of how Jesus is coming back for his people, the very next verse says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let me encourage you, brothers and sisters. Jesus has not forgot about you. He's not forgotten about us. In fact, he's with us through his spirit every single day. But more than that, while he is away from us in heaven, he's interceding on our behalf. He's pleading for us before the Father. Every day he's making sure that mercy is new every single morning for us. His grace is never running out for us. His mercy is more than our sin as we sang. Jesus is there in heaven, but not only is he doing all that, holding everything together, working everything according to his will, conforming us into the image of himself. Not only is he doing all of that, he's preparing a place. And he's coming back. He's coming back. Now you need to know. I don't know when that is and don't even try to ask me. He knows. But I do know this. Every single day I'm going to live my life like it could be today. Every single day I'm going to be looking toward the east, if you will, to see if that sky is splitting open today. Why? Because the greatest thing that can happen to me the most glorious truth I can hold dear is to be with my Savior. So how is this then? How is it that Jesus can say to us, don't be troubled? Because he turns around and says, where I'm going, you can't come. Jesus is not talking about heaven right there. Jesus is talking about the cross. The reason why our hearts and souls shouldn't be troubled is because Jesus takes our trouble upon himself. The reason why we should not be troubled is because Jesus goes into our trouble and he solves it. He ends it. He turns our trouble into our hope. He takes our trouble, what we deserve because of our sin. We should have been left in our trouble. We made it for ourselves. Yet he goes into it on the cross. He goes into that trouble and he takes the trouble that we have in our life through our sin. That is our problem, if you will. And he makes it his and he turns it around and gives us life. So Jesus looks at him and says, where I'm going, you can't go. But I'm going to prepare a place for you and you know the way to that. And Thomas replied, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We get a great clarifying statement for the whole world. As clear as Jesus can possibly be. How do we get to heaven? I am the way, the truth, and the life. How do we get to heaven? Because Jesus entered into our trouble and turned our trouble into hope. How do we get to heaven? Because Jesus is the one who came for us when we could not go to him in our own strength and power. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he says. My first sermon had three S's. I was so proud of myself, I probably got it from a book. 
How can you be saved? Jesus is the way. He's the only one who came from heaven, died for us, and has taken us back to heaven, right? So he came from there, came down for us, and has taken us back. He's that trailblazer for us. How can we be saved? Because Jesus is the way. He made the way when we could not make it ourselves. Jesus is the way. How can we be sure? Because he's the truth. Test him. Look at everything that he has. Put it all together and see if you can find the lie in him. See if you can find any of it. You may just say, I don't believe it. But you can't say he's a liar. Because everything he ever said has come true and has come to pass. He is the truth. That's how you can be sure. How can I be satisfied? Jesus is the life. How can I be saved, sure, and satisfied? You can look all over the world. You can long for something. You can try to find it in any other place you want to. It'll never satisfy you like Christ can because he's the way, the truth, and the life. That right there was how long my sermon was. But I want to be clear here this morning. I want to be as clear as I possibly can. This is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. No one, y'all get what that says? No one comes to the Father except through me. No one, Jesus says. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except, except through me. And though the world hates this, and though the world wants to deny this, and the world wants to call us bigoted and arrogant and all other things, we need to be clear as believers with an uncompromising exclusivity. There is no other way than Christ Jesus himself. You may want to argue. It may make you feel better about yourself and your own sinfulness to say not all roads, uh, to say all roads lead to heaven. But you need to understand. You need to understand that our Savior is the one who came from heaven. Our Savior is the one who went to the cross. Our Savior is the one who went into our trouble to redeem us from it. And it's Jesus Christ who's the only one who gives us that hope of salvation in life. There is no other way. Search if you will. Look if you want to, and you'll find all other counterfeit gods and counterfeit saviors, just that, counterfeits. Look to Christ and believe, and you find the real thing. You find real joy. You find real satisfaction. You find real hope, even in the midst of your trouble. You know that that trouble is only slight and momentary compared to what's coming for you. You know that trouble is just in the part of passing through a world that is not your home. Even in the midst of it, you know that Jesus is the only way. Jesus is our trailblazer. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one who entered into our trouble and gave us hope. And he looks at us again and he says, do you believe this? Do you believe if you want to claim heaven as your home, if you want to trust and know that Christ Jesus is preparing that place for you and he's coming back to you, then this morning you need to claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There is no other way. There is no other way. And I ask you this morning as you consider these things to do just that. Maybe some of you here have been, have been in your troubles You've been struggling, you're weary, and you're tired. Look to Christ. He's the one who brings life to you and joy and satisfaction. He's the one who looks to you and says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. He's the one that takes our troubles and turns them to hope. Turns them to hope. Look to Christ this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
We thank you for what he has done for us. We thank you, Father, that he has not left us. He came for us. He pursued us, Father. And maybe even now he's pursuing some in this place. Maybe there's some here, God, who have, have never believed. But help them to believe so they can see all the joys and treasures of Christ. Help them to turn, Father. Turn from the counterfeit saviors of this world and find the real one in Christ this morning. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And may God, every single one of us, believe that this morning and testify to it. Find salvation. Find satisfaction when we find Jesus. Maybe that's you this morning. I'll be standing here at the front. We'd love to talk to you about finding that salvation, satisfaction, that joy in Christ. If you want to join our church, I'm here. We'd love to have you. So many exciting things are happening in the life of Taylors. But I can promise you this. Those things are happening because we stand unashamedly proclaiming Jesus Christ is everything. Let's stand together and let's sing how great Christ is.